The Mishnah tells us in Mesechtus Ovis in the first parak, that your house should be a house of gathering for Talmidei Chachamim. The Mishnah quotes that in the name of Rabbi Yossi Ben Yoyezer. So Shlomo Kluger asks in his parish on the Mesechtus Ovis that it seems to be redundant. Your house should be a bias. Vad Chachamim should be a house of gathering for Talmidei Chachamim. Why does it say bias twice? So Shlomo Kluger explains that it's to teach us that when a person's building his home, when he's decorating his home, so if he has the opportunity should, to do so, he should make sure that when he's building it, he should be able uh, to be a mokon that's big enough to have inyanim uh, avruchnius, to have a Torah spoken about in his home. I don't know anybody who has uh, fulfilled this uh, to, to, that, to, to the degree that Paul and Lisa have, but I think they call this room the base medrash. So and it's outfitted with the microphones somewhere or a sound system. The so uh, meets Monday. Monday. There's other many shirim going on over here. It's a whole schedule. So uh, we we hope that all the Torah that's learned in their home should be uh, a makom of hashras hashina, not only for the community but should serve as chos for them and for their entire mishpacha. Goyach to you. I wanted to discuss something which is a recurring theme uh, throughout the parashios of the middle of uh, Sefer Bereishis. And that is the topic of nisyonos, of uh, challenges uh, or trials. I don't really want to focus on why do we have to endure nisyonos. That seems to, to me to be the domain uh, of the Rebbeinu Shalom, and it's hard really to speculate as to why we have to endure nisyonos. What I really uh, would like to focus on more, which is really the discussion in the, the Mepharshim about nisyonos, is uh, how should we approach them? How should we view them and... Uh, what should our attitude be in encountering uh, Nisyonos? And I would like to, as a, you know, as a beginning point, to be, analyze this issue of Nisyonos, of how we're supposed to view them and how we're supposed to encounter them and approach them through the lens of this week's uh, parasha. So the Pasuk tells us at the beginning of the parasha, the Pasuk, which the Gemara calls, Mesech Lesivomis, Vayayoser Yitzchok Lashem Lenoichach Ishtoi, Kiyakarohi Yitzchok Davins, uh, opposite his wife, because she is barren, and his wife uh, becomes pregnant. So the Gemara asks, notices that it doesn't say that Yitzchak davens al ishtoi, doesn't daven for her, he davens l'noichach ishtoi, he davens opposite her. Why not for her? So the Gemara explains, because it wasn't her problem, she wasn't the only one who was infertile, Yitzchak as well was also infertile. And therefore, he wasn't davening for her, he was davening together with her, or opposite her. They were both uh, in, in, in the same exact situation. But yet, the Pasuk concludes, that he was answered, not both of them. So Gemara says, why was he answered, and not her? Because you cannot compare the tefillah of a tzadik ben tzadik, a righteous person, a righteous person to that of a tzaddik ben Rasha, to the tefillah of Rivka, who was the daughter of Besua, was a tzaddik ben Rasha. So his tefillah, it sounds like Pasha Pshat in the Gemara, was accepted and hers was not because he was of greater stature and therefore his tefillah was more effective. So he was answered as opposed to her. And this is quoted the way that we just explained the Gemara, is quoted by the Mishnah Bura Lemaisa in uh, Hilchus Tefillah. When you're searching for a baal whether it's Yom Yom or another time, 
we should uh, try and seek out a Baltfila who's a Tzadik ben Tzadik, who has a Chus Avais to be our Baltfila, not to choose a Tzadik ben Rasha, because you see from the Gemara and Yavamis that the Tfil of a Tzadik ben Tzadik is more effective because he's of a greater standing than the Tzadik ben Rasha. But this Gemara Masechtis Yavamis, which is quoted by Rashi, is, uh, is bothersome, just intuitively. It would seem to us that the Tfil of a Tzadik ben Rasha would be superior to that of the Tzadik ben Tzadik. He's had to overcome more than the uh, Tzadik ben Tzadik who was born with the, you know, the spiritual silver spoon in his mouth, whereas the Tzadik ben Rasha had to overcome more. And we really get this impression from the first uh, Rashi, the beginning, the first Pasuk in the parasha, where the Pasuk tells us that uh, traces the lineage of Rivka back to her father, Bas Besuel Harami, Achais Lavon Harami Loyle Isha. Pasuk recaps that Yitzchok took Rivka as a wife, and again the Pasuk lists that her Yichos, which she was the daughter of Besuel, and the sister of Lavan. We are well acquainted with this already from last week's parish, Parashat Sarah. We read about this, uh, we heard the story from Eliezer twice. We know who she, who she is and who her parents are, and who her brother was, and where she comes from. So why is it repeated again? So Rashi explains, it's Lahagish Shvacha, to build up, uh, to build up Rivka and to praise her. Look where she came from, such humble beginnings. Her father was Besuel, and her, her brother was Lavan, and she came from a place of Rishayim. Her father was a Russia, her brother was a Russia, and yet she emerged as a, as a Tzadikus of the highest order. So look how great and how much she had to overcome. Yet two Rashis later, we say, yeah, but she was less than Yitzchak. Yeah. She was a Tzadik ben Russia, but Yitzchak, a Tzadik ben Tzadik, it sounds strange. It's just odd. We would have uh, intuitively thought that the of the Tzadik ben Rasha would be greater. They had to overcome more. Look, she uh, overcame. Her father was Besuel, a brother who was Lavan, coming from the city of Rishoyim. And in fact, because she had to overcome more, we would have thought that her Tfil would be more effective. And that's what the impression you would get from the Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara says in Masech Sanhedrin, and Afmem Gimel Medalef, whoever comes from, uh, you know, has more humility, Misha, Dato, Shefela, has a greater chance of his tefillah being accepted because the Pasuk says in Tehillim, Lev Nishbar Venidke, Elohim Loi Sivze, a person with a broken and a crushed heart, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will not reject his tefillahs. So why is it then uh, that the tefillah of the Tzadik ben Tzadik is more effective than the tefillah of the Tzadik ben Rasha? Why was Yitzchak, it sounds like from the Gemara, of a higher order, a higher standing than Rivka, when Rivka had to overcome all of this? And I would have thought her tefillah, she would approach tefillah with a greater humility, with a broken heart, her tefillah would have had a greater chance of being accepted, not the tefillah of Yitzchak. So the famous explanation in the name of the Alta from Kelm, who explains that the truth of the matter is, even though Rivka who, uh, had to overcome a lot of adversity, a lot of conflict, in order to reach the, uh, the Madrega that she was on, that's easier uh, than what Yitzchak had to accomplish. Because when a person is in a place of conflict, a place of adversity, so he has like a fighting attitude. He feels like he's in a fight, so then it's easier to grow in such an environment, in such a climate. But when a person is in an in a atmosphere where everything is easy, and everything uh, comes without conflict, without adversity, so then it's much, uh, a person would have a greater tendency to kind of flow, to coast, and to grow, and to push oneself, and that environment is that much more difficult. There's a Misa that they say over there once, there was a Talmud who was learning in Velazhin Yeshiva, and he was taken, uh, he was drafted into the army. And he was fighting tooth and nail to get out of the army for years. Years he was fighting to get out of the army, pulling strings, writing letters, fighting, fighting. Finally, after a few years, he was exempted from the army and returned to Velazhin Yeshiva. 
And when he came back to Vlajan Yeshiva, the kid slept, he slept all day. He, he never came to learn. So he answered Chaim Vlajan. He doesn't understand. The guy fought for years to get back to the Yeshiva. And now all he does is sleep all day. He barely came to Seder. So Chaim Vlajan said, You don't understand. When he was in the army, when they were pressuring him, it was a difficult situation. So then it's easy to fight. You have a cause. When the person comes back to Yeshiva, now it's easy. So now it's much harder to grow. It's much harder to push oneself. You don't have that same adversity and conflict pushing you. Or you find that as well, I noticed, that in kids who go off to secular college campuses, and, uh, they might not be the firmest kids, but then they arrive on a secular college campus where there isn't too much Yiddishkeit, and they end up in the Hill House or the Chabad House, whatever they find. And all of a sudden, he's the guy, you know, who's coming to Minyan, he's the guy who's arranging the Shiur, and he's, he, 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 he becomes like a, a Gavra. Why? Some kids, I would say, rive, uh, you know, fall off the other end. If they went and not so from they, they don't get from her. It's not like a Kirov movement, the secular college campus. But you have, once in a while, a kid who you would never have thought becomes extremely successful in that environment. And the answer is, because when a person's pushed, he has to pick a side. He has to define himself and figure out who he is. And there's adversity around him, so that could push a person uh, to grow even more. And that was why, says the altar from Kelm, Yitzchak's situation was harder. You see, when a person feels like he's in a college campus, so everything he does, he makes a contribution. You come to a minion, it means <clears> something. You come uh, you know, to a shir, it means something. When a person's in a yeshiva with 5,000 talmidim, in a mere yeshiva, it doesn't, you know, he comes, it's important, obviously, but you don't feel that same, uh, that same contribution that you're making. And therefore, uh, to a certain extent, it's harder. But also, because Yitzchak was a tzaddik ben tzaddik, that also made it harder. Yitzchak, Rivka, her father was Besua. Everyone ma- measures themselves up to their uh, parents. That's just how we measure ourselves, generally, most people. So Rivka, you know, if she came to the Seder and she came to Shul and Yom Kippur and she didn't eat treif, she was already the tzaddikus of the house. She was already the firmer one in the house. Yitzchak, every uh, davening, was sitting next to Avram Avinu. He lived in the shadow of Avram Avinu. So then it's much harder. Rivka felt good about herself. Whatever she did, she measured up to the parents. She was better than them. So in a certain sense, it's easier to grow in that kind of setting. Whereas uh, Yitzchak, who was constantly being measured up against Avram Avinu in that type of situation, it's much harder. So says the altar from Kelm, that's why Yitzchak was of greater standing than Rivka. Rivka was a tzaddik ben Rasha, so she had to overcome a lot, it's true. But in a certain sense, it's easier to grow and easier to progress to become a tzaddik in that environment of conflict and adversity. But yeah, Yitzchak had to grow in an environment where things were, were easier. He was in the house of Avram Avinu, and nonetheless, he pushed himself. Nonetheless, he uh, continued to grow. So that accomplishment at a certain level is greater. The similar pshat from Mesvasemis in the Mishnah Mesef Lesovis. The Mishnah tells us in Mesef Lesovis, Parakdal Mishnah Tess. Whoever fulfills the Torah from uh, poverty, in the end he'll be able to fulfill it from great, uh, from great means, from great wealth. So what's the Pashup Shat in the Mishnah? Pashup Shat is that uh, if a person is able to push himself to overcome his situation and learn, learn even though he doesn't have means, Kodesh Baruch Hu will bless him and uh, bestow upon him uh, great wealth and he'll be able to learn then from a, a, a position where it's easier to learn. However, the Svasemis says that's not the way Nisyanus work. We look at Avram Avinu's uh, process of Nisyanus. It starts out with easy Nisyan, a little bit harder, a little bit harder, culminating with the Akedah Yitzchak. 
So it says this Fasem is so too in our personal lives. That's how things usually function. A person gets a little Nisayin, a Kaddish Baruch who sees he can handle it, then he gets a bigger one. So it says this Fasem is, it's easier to learn Me'ayini. That's why Madrega. Then a Kaddish Baruch is going to ask you the higher, the harder thing. What's the greater Nisayin? To learn Me'ayishar. To learn when there's no adversity, when there's no conflict. That's harder. Because things a person tends to coast in those situations. When it's me'ayni, everything is a fight, everything is difficult. So then, yeah, so people push themselves. That was Rivka, that was the Tzadik ben Rosha. But Yitzchak's greatness was that he was a Tzadik ben Tzadik. He pushed himself. He had the Nisayan of Aisha, which the Svasema says is a greater Nisayan <laughs> than the Nisayan of Aini. So I believe that that's the one way to understand that Gemara and Mesephtis Yavamis is that the Tfilah and the Pashup Shat, which is that the Tfilah of the Tzadik ben Tzadik is greater in the tefillah of the tzaddik ben Rosh, and Yitzchak's tefillah, even though they were both infertile, Yitzchak's tefillah was answered, and not that of Rivka, because he was of greater standing, uh, because he had greater nisyanis, he had greater challenges, it's harder to grow in that kind of uh, easy environment, this, uh, the, the environment of Aisher, than it is to have a nisyan of Oini. However, the Mishnah Brewer quotes another opinion. If you look back at Oiz Beis, the Mishnah Brewer quotes from Etruvus HaRosh, that there's no Milo to finding a Shliach Tzibah who's a tzaddik ben tzaddik. You don't have to look for a tzaddik ben tzaddik. It makes no difference. In fact, later on, the Mishnah Bura says you should look for a person who has died to Shefela. Comes from humble beginnings. Such a person, as the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, is tefillah, is more likely to be accepted. But why? But the Gemara said a tzaddik ben tzaddik, his tefillah is more accepted than the tzaddik ben Rosh. So I believe that the Rosh might have learned a different shot than that Gemara Nivamis. Not that the tefillah of the tzaddik, ben tzaddik, the tefillah of Yitzchak, was greater than the tefillah of Rivka, perhaps even the tefillah of Rivka was greater than the tefillah of Yitzchak. How could that be? So the Mizrahi, the other Mepharshim, ask, one minute, let's uh, regroup for a moment. Yit, the Pasuk, go back to the first Pasuk. Yitzchak davened to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, L'Neichach Ishtoy, opposite his wife, Kiyakarohi, because she was barren. So why does it say, not Al Ishtoy? Not for his wife, because he was also infertile. He was also in the same tzara. So he was davening, presumably for himself. She was davening, presumably for herself. And who was answered? Yitzchak. But if that's the pshat, ask the Mizrahi, one of the commentaries on Rashi, why mention Rivka at all? Why does it have to say, Why does it have to mention that he was opposite his wife? Why is she relevant? He's infertile. Let him dive into the Rebani Shalom. Akash Baruch Hu wants to answer him. Great. Why do we have to know that it was opposite his wife? So Rashi, as we know, deals with this. And Rashi says, because he was standing in one corner and she was standing in another corner. Okay, but we still don't understand. Why is that a relevant piece of information that the two of them were standing in opposite corners? Who cares? He was infertile. Let him dive into the Rebani Shalom. Rebani Shalom wants to answer him. Let him answer him. Why does it have to mention that it's opposite his wife? So the Ksav Seifer explains, in his uh, comments on Parshas Vayetze, the same is found in the Marsha, and that Gemara Nivamis already raises this possibility, that no, it's because Yitzchak was davening for Rivka, or in Herzachus, and Rivka was davening for Yitzchak. Why? Because the Gemara tells us that a person who davens for someone else, his tefillah has a greater chance of being accepted than if he davens for himself. We know this, the Gemara tells us in Mesechus, Bovakam, on Tzadi Beis, they call Hamavakish Rachmim Achaveroi. Anybody who davens for his friend, who tzarech loyis adavar, he needs that same item. Who nena He's answered first. So a tefillah for someone else is more effective than a tefillah for yourself. So they made up a plan. Yitzchak was going to daven for Rivka in her zechus. Rivka was going to daven for Yitzchak with his zechusim. 
So then, that's why they were each standing in two corners. Why is that relevant? Because they were really diving for one another. They should have stood facing each other, says Marsha. But that would be odd. Two people facing each other in tefillah. It looks like they're davening to one another. But they weren't. They were davening in each other's chutz. So they faced a corner. But they were davening each one for the other one. And who's answered? Says the Ksav Seifer. Who's answered? Yitzchak. Which means, who's the chusim were greater? Rivka. Says the Ksav Seifer because he was davening and her's a chus. And what the Gemara means, ain't doim a tefillah tzaddik ben tzaddik, a tefillah tzaddik ben rasha. You can't compare the tefillah of a tzaddik ben tzaddik to a tzaddik ben rasha. It doesn't mean the tzaddik ben tzaddik is better. It means who's better? The tzaddik ben rasha. The tzaddik ben rasha's tefillah is better, or the zechus of Rivka was greater than that of the zechus of, of Yitzchak, which is the intuitive approach. Rivka had to overcome, you know, to abandon her background and her upbringing and her family. She had to overcome many more obvious challenges than Yitzchak did. Yitzchak grew up in the home of Avram Avinu. It would have been a chiddush if he went any other direction. But Rivka had a lot to overcome. She had to change her whole life. So that's why uh, the Ksav Soifer learns now that the tefillah of Rivka was greater than the tefillah of Yitzchak, or the zechus of Rivka was greater than the zechus of Yitzchak, because she had greater challenges. So what emerges is perhaps it's even two opinions in the Mishnah Bru Lamaisa. They have to look for a Baal who's a Tzadik ben Tzadik. Well, man, perhaps there's no reason to. Who has greater standing? Who has greater Nisyonis? The tzaddik ben tzaddik, or the tzaddik ben rasha, was it Yitzchak who had greater nisyanis because he grew up in a in an environment where he could have just coasted and he didn't. He pushed himself, and that's greater. That's harder than uh, being in an environment of adversity and conflict. There, everyone it's easy to grow, but not in an environment where things are easy. The nisyan of Oisha is greater than the nisyan of Aini, or perhaps no. Perhaps uh, the tefillah of the Rivka was greater. She was of greater standing. The tzaddik ben rasha is of greater standing than Tzadik ben Tzadik because uh, you have to overcome obvious uh, challenges to, uh, to reject one's upbringing and one's background. Maybe that challenge, the Nisayon of Aini, the Pashup shot of the Mishnah and others, the Nisayon of Aini is greater than the Nisayon of Oisher. These two perspectives, I believe, are reflected in numerous places. Who's greater? The Tzadik ben Tzadik, who has to grow in an environment where things are easy, the Nisayon of Oisher, or the tzaddik ben Rasha, the one who has to grow, has to overcome adversity and conflict, who has greater nisyanis and who's greater standing. So I believe it's reflected in a few areas, and we'll see. The first area is look at the Gemara Mesechtas Brochus. The Gemara Mesechtas Brochus has a machlekes. Who's greater? Tzaddikim gemurim or balei tshuva? The opinion of Rabbi Yochanan is, all of the rewards that are listed throughout Tanakh by the Nevi'im, are for the Balei Tshuva, about tzaddikim gemurim, a person his whole life is a tzaddik gomer, ayin loiros alikim zulasecha. No eye has seen how much reward awaits for them, except the Rebbe Nishalelem. Untold, immeasurable reward. So Rabbi Yochanan's opinion is, tzaddik gomer is on a higher madrega, but upliga the Rabbi Avo. He argues on Rabbi Avo, because Rabbi Avo's opinion is, b'mokom shabalei tshuva oimdin, tzaddikim gemurim enum oimdin. That's a machlaikas in the Gemara. His opinion is, Balei Tshuva Ahayim Madrega, which is against Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan held Tzadikim Gemurim on Ahayim Madrega. And it seems like they're debating this issue. Who has the greatest struggle? About Tshuva? Well, maybe he has the, the, the... It's easy to grow in adversity and conflict. Or no, maybe the... Uh, and so therefore the Tzadik Gomer has the higher Nisoyen. He's of higher standing. He's accomplished more. No, maybe it's the, it's the other way around. Maybe the Tzadik Gomer has had his life. It's so easy though. The Nisayan of Aisha is easily the Nisayan of Aini. When a person has difficult, has to 
change his background, change his upbringing, turn his life around, perhaps that's much harder. And that's the debate in the Gemara, who's on higher standing, the Balchuva or the Tzadik Gomer. This, I believe, is also reflected in Yitzchak and Rivka's uh, approach to their two children. The Pasuk tells us a few uh, psukim later, in the next Pasuk, Vayisraitza, that Rivka becomes pregnant, Vayisraitza to Habana Bekirma, it's a tumultuous pregnancy. And the children are running inside of her. In the familiar Rashi tells us, Esav, when she passed by the base of the Zara, Esav was running to get out. When she passed by the yeshiva of Shem Viever, Yaakov was running to get out. That's why it's Belosh and Rabin. By Yisraitza too, both were running. But asked the Maral on the second line, V'im Taimar, L'peirush zesh ayah Esav mefachis lotzes. According to this explanation that Esav was running to get out, there's no Yetzirah that a person has to deal with an evil inclination until he's born. Not when they're still uh, not born yet. Not when they're still in their mother. So says the Maral the following. He says, no, Esau wasn't running because he was giving in to the Yetzirah. That was his nature. That was his Tevah. That was his destiny, or his built-in nature, his proclivity, his tendency, was towards Avodah uh, Whereas the tendency, the Teva, of, Yitz, of Yaakov Avidu, was to be in, uh, in the yeshiva. He wasn't running towards uh, the base of Avodah He was uh, running the other way, towards uh, yeshiva, Shein But That was where his tendency, his Teva, brought him. And that's why, immediately when they get older, by Yigdalu Hana'orim, by He Eshav, that was who their nature was, and that's why when they first developed, uh, that was uh, one was running towards one, and the other ended up in the other location. But how do their parents respond? So as we know, the Pusik tells us, very a few two psukim later, Yitzchak loves Esav. Because, it sounds like, that's his nature, was to run, to, 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 to be a, a man of the field, a man of trapping. Whereas Rivka loved Yaakov, and not Esav. But how could it be, many are bothered, how could it be Yitzchak loved Esav? Well, we understand he was duplicitous. But was Yitzchak so naive? Was Yitzchak so... Uh, not street smart, that he was taken in by uh, a young man's, you know, uh, smooth talking. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to fathom. So Yosef Salant explains in his Sefer Be'er Yosef, that no, Yitzchak loved Esav, why? Ki tzayid b'fiv. He saw that great potential. He saw that he had adversity. He had inner conflict, inner turmoil. He was running to the base of Eidazara. So he said, if that's your nature... You have that Tzadik ben Rosh within you, meaning you have the Teba to bring you in that direction, and you're going to overcome that. Your potential is off the charts. It's through the roof. So Yitzchak saw within Esav great potential. Because he said, if a person's Teba is good, which was kind of his own upbringing, so he said, eh, your potential is over here. But he said, if your potential is this, and you overcome it, how much, how much greater can you be? And therefore, Yitzchak loved Esav, Ki Tzai B'fiv, he saw the Nisyanis. But he said, because of those Nisyanis, his, uh, his potential was very high. He could accomplish so much more. And Rivka loved Yaakov. Why? 
So perhaps it's because Rivka took the other perspective. Rivka, because again, it was the opposite of how she grew up, but Rivka perhaps believed, no, yes, if you come from that environment and you overcome it, that, 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 that's easy. I did that, she says. No, he says, much harder if you're in an environment like Yaakov is in, where that's his nature, Ishtam, Yeshavaholim, if he's able to push himself and he's able to continue to grow in that uh, environment where he's already kind of a, with a head start. But nonetheless, he doesn't become complacent, he doesn't become... Uh, Satisfied with that, he pushes himself further, then his potential could be greater. So perhaps, says the Bear Yosef, this machlekes, uh, if you could call it that, whether who's greater, the Tzadik ben Tzadik or the Tzadik ben Russia, who has to overcome more, the Nisayan of Aini or the Nisayan of Aisher? Who's greater, the Balchuvah or the Tzadik Gomer, seems to be reflected in the two ways that Yitzchak and Rivka approach their two children. Yitzchak seems to take the perspective if you have greater Nisayanas, greater challenges, in terms of uh, that you, you're coming uh, with a tevara, you can accomplish more if you overcome that adversity and conflict. And Rivka says, no, the Nisayon that's greater is the Nisayon of against complacency, of the Nisayon of Aisher, to continue to push oneself in that type of environment, and therefore she believed Yaakov, in fact, had greater potential. This machlekes, though, goes really back to a philosophical machlekes that the Rambam brings in his Shemayin Prakim. The Rambam has a commentary to Mesech Lusavos called Shemayin Prakim which is uh, where he discusses various uh, inyanim in, ha- in Hashkafa. So in the sixth parak of the Shemayna Prakim, of the eight Prakim, he brings a, uh, what he calls a Chakira, as to uh, this issue, who's greater? And he quotes from the philosophers, assume the philosophers from the Umas Ha'elam, that's usually what the Rambam means. The philosophers of the Umas Ha'elam believed that it was a person whose natural inclination was to do good is of greater standing. He's on a greater plateau than a person uh, who has a nature to do bad, his teva is to do wrong, and yet he, he restrains himself, he overcomes it. However, the Ramam says the opinion of Chazal uh, was not so. The Ramam says the opinion of Chazal was that a person who has a taiva for Averis, as Chazal say, a person should always say, I wish I would be able to eat Besach Hazir, but what can I do? The Rebunishalm has restricted me from doing so. He's commanded me not to. So Sotu says the Rambam, the opinion of Chazal seems to be that who's of greater standing is the person who has an Isayan, the person who has a taiva to do it. His teva is to do it, and yet he overcomes his teva, he restrains it, and subdues it, and uh, serves the Rebani Shalom nonetheless. He can uh, reach greater heights. What he accomplishes is greater and more difficult than that which the Tzadik ben Tzadik accomplishes. But this issue really comes to a fore, with regards to a controversial comment of the Tiferes Yisrael. The Tiferes Yisrael, one of the classical commentaries who lived in the uh, beginning of the 1800s, classical commentaries on the bottom of the Yochen Uboa's Mishnayah. So at the last, uh, his comment on Mesechta's Kiddushin, I didn't put it here, it's too lengthy. But the uh, Tiferes Yisrael, the end of Mesechta's Kiddushin, quotes a Misa that uh, after Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, took Klaisel out of Mitzrayim, and he had a tree, you know, achieved notoriety throughout the world. There was an Arabian king who wanted to see, uh, who wanted to see Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, see a portrait of him, and he would be able to take that portrait to a uh, physiognomist, which is a person who looks at, uh, like, kind of like a palm reader, but for faces, and is able to tell what strengths a person has, what weaknesses he has, and he was going to attempt to siphon out, you know, what was Moshe Rabbeinu's main strength, and he would be able to adapt it himself and uh, follow, follow, Moshe Rabbeinu's, uh, follow Moshe Rabbeinu's example. So he sent an artist to go and make a portrait of Moshe Rabbeinu. 
the man returned with the portrait, he gave it to his physiognomist, and uh, they said, we don't see anything here. They said, this person that we see should be uh, the lowest of the low, shouldn't have accomplished anything. They don't see any great trait to Moshe Rabbeinu at all. So the king got very angry. This is the whole story that Tiferes Israel says. The king got very angry. And he says, someone's lying to me here. This man achieved great things. Either the portrait is incorrect, inaccurate, or the physiognomist didn't know what they were talking about. So he said he resolved to go himself and to look at Moshe Rabbeinu. So he went himself. He saw Moshe Rabbeinu, matched it up with the portrait. They were exactly the same. It was an accurate portrait. So he started to get angry at his Chachamim, the physiognomist. And then Moshe Rabbeinu told him, he said, no, he said, the truth of the matter is, my teva is, your physiognomists are correct, my teva was to do wrong, to do bad. I should have to be a bottle and to accomplish nothing. But I worked on myself, and I uh, overcame that teva, and dedicated my life to serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the story that's told by the Tiferes Yisrael. So that almost uh, immediately after he published this, in the beginning of the 1800s, whenever the Tiferes Yisrael first came out in the Mishnayis, uh, there was a backlash in the Rabbanisha world. Many disagreed, and they said there's no source for this anywhere in Chazal. There is a source for it. Where did it come from? We don't know. Well, it's already brought in the Shittim Kubetzes. I gave that to you. Shittim Kubetzes in Mesechnitz Nedarim quotes the Maisa, but not with Moshe Rabbeinu. With a chacham, and it appears in non-Jewish literature before this. So many argued he took this from the Goyim. He took this from the Umasarlam. They said it about Socrates, then later about Aristotle, and uh, at some point it got transferred or uh, to, to Moshe Rabbeinu. But it never was a it has no basis in Chazal at all. It's not found in any earlier source with regards to Moshe Rabbeinu. In fact, we have evidence to the contrary. The pasuk says when Moshe Rabbeinu was first born, they saw that Moshe Rabbeinu was good. How did they know Moshe Rabbeinu was good? So Rashi says, because when he was born, the whole house filled with light. So they knew Moshe Rabbeinu was good. And the Medrash Tanchuma says Moshe Rabbeinu was born Gamalp. He didn't need a Mila. So, so they, uh, there was a contrast that was put out by the Maggid of Vilkamir called Khalil Teferis. Kilil Teferis can either mean a crown of glory, which is what we mean in davening when we say Kilil Teferis, or I think he meant it pejoratively, Kilil like a, like a kvala, like a curse of the Teferis. The whole uh, countries, this whole pamphlet was against the Teferis Israel that he made up this, uh, this Maise with Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, you see from Chazal, they didn't believe that, that Moshe Rabbeinu's Teva was for good. And he got that skama of many of the Maral Diskin and of the Adaris, who was the father of Cook. And many others rejected this Maisa from the Tiferes Israel, and they asked for it to be omitted from the Mishnayis. And there are certain versions of the Mishnayis that have this passage of Tiferes Israel omitted because it was so uh, controversial. At the same time, you find in Morchsidish Svarim that they adopted this concept. Look at the Archaim HaKodesh. And the Pesach in Parshus V'zayis HaBrocha. The Pesach says, V'zayis HaBrocha, Sheberach Ma'isheh, Ish Ho'eloikim, A man of Hashem. What does that mean, a man of Hashem? Says the Archaim, it means Moshe Rabbeinu was kuloi to Hashem. That wasn't his teva. Meaning most of us serve the Rebbe Shalom a little bit because that's the inertia, that's our teva, and because we're, we're motivated to do it. Moshe Rabbeinu was all because he reworked himself, he reformed himself, he fashioned himself 
to serve the Rebbeinu Shalalam, not because it was his teva. He overcame his teva. His teva was to be the other way, not to be, uh, not to serve the Rebbeinu Shalalam. A similar comment is found by the Degel Machne Ephraim, who is the grandson of the uh, of the Baal Shem Tev. Writes in the Pesach in Parshas Kisisa, when Moshe Rabbeinu descends from Arsinai, the Pesach says his face was radiating, was glowing light, kikaron or panov. The skin of his face was radiating. So or in this Pesach, ayin vav resh means his skin. However, it was radiating light, which is aleph vav resh. So it says the Degel Machne Ephraim in the name of his grandfather, the Baal Shem Tiv, that Moshe Rabbeinu took the R, the skin, which is the same letters as the word Ra. He took the Ra that he was born with and he turned it into R with an Aleph that's light. Meaning he understood, the Baal Shem Tiv also understood and didn't have a problem with the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu's Teva was uh, for bad. But yet Moshe Rabbeinu overcame that Teva and became, uh, achieved, of course, as we know, greatness. I believe that these two schools of thought uh, about how to uh, these uh, how best to describe Moshe Rabbeinu, what is most flattering to Moshe Rabbeinu, are arguing about this uh, this issue, which is what's greater? Would it be greater to describe Moshe Rabbeinu as someone whose tevel was ra that he overcame it? That's a greater nisayin, and therefore Moshe Rabbeinu's status and his stature is greater. Or no, it's greater for a person to be a tzaddik kol yomav. It's greater for a person to be a tzaddik ben tzaddik, not to have a teva for Ra, Rivka's perspective on Yaakov. In which case, uh, no one wants to say Moshe Rabbeinu's teva was Ra. That's uh, somehow a pigia in Moshe Rabbeinu. It would be better to say that Moshe Rabbeinu's teva was for Taif, if we have the option of saying so, Moshe, and reject the Tiferes Israel. Moshe Rabbeinu's teva was for good and, uh, and, not for, uh, and not for Ra. Because when a person propels himself, even though that's his teva, but he works on himself and struggles, even in that environment where he doesn't have to, uh, that uh, person can achieve even a greater status. But there, whether a person believes uh, that a tzaddik ben tzaddik is greater, the tzaddik ben tzaddik, tzaddik, tzaddik ben rasha is greater, or the, uh, as we said, the baal or the tzaddik kol yomov, or the person whose teva is for ra, or teva is for taiv, everybody seems to agree to the following notion. And that is, the machlet is only who has greater nisyanis, and therefore who can achieve greater heights. But everyone seems to assume that a person with greater nisyonis, whatever those might be, whether it's the tzaddik ben tzaddik has greater nisyonis, it's harder to grow up in the home of Avram Avinu, or it's harder to grow up in the home of Besuel, the tzaddik ben Rosh is greater. Whichever one has the greater nisyonis, whoever has it harder, is the one who can achieve more. In which case, everyone seems to agree that nisyonis, uh, challenges and trials, really uh, give a person an opportunity uh, to achieve more and to develop himself more because he has greater potential. And that uh, really reflects the comments of the Ramban and Parshas Vayero that are well known, where the Ramban writes in the Pasuk, Valeikim Nisas Avraham, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu tested Avraham, writes the Ramban, the purpose of a Nisayin is Lahoitzi Hadavam in Whoever has greater Nisayinus has greater potential, and the purpose of that Nisayin and that's how we should approach it, is that it's, uh, it's an opportunity to bring potential out to fruition. It's a similar comment by the Siparno, also on the Pasuk and Parshas Vayera. Ati adati kim ato. He says, now I know, after the Akedah, that you are Yireh Lekim, says the Siparno, that before that the Rebani knew it, but it hadn't come in HaKayach al But now it came from potential, Al-Hanimsa Bipoil. It came from Kayach, and that was potential in Avram Avinu, and it came out, uh, it came out to fruition. 
That's why Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky writes in his uh, comments in this week's parasha, and parasha's told us, that's why so often the Sianus that we experience in life, and the Nisiyanis that were experienced by the others, ask us to go against our grain, to go against, uh, to go against those things that we define ourselves by them, uh, to, they challenge us on our very principles. Like we find by Avram Avinu, many of his, uh, you know, Avram Avinu's hallmark characteristic, which he's known for, is his chesed. The whole Parshas Vayera begins with Avram Avinu's uh, extreme chesed. But yet it concludes with uh, Avram, the Akedus Yitzchak, where Avram Avinu was asked to sacrifice his own son. Or he had to expel Hagar and Yishmael from his home. Things which uh, run against his grain of chesed, says of Yaakov, because the whole purpose of Nisan is to expand ourselves, to expand our potential, expand our horizon, not to do that which comes easy, our wheelhouse, but uh, to bring that which we have a potential out into reality, and therefore sometimes, or most of the time, Anisianus challenge us to move beyond that which uh, we're generally comfortable with. Or we find Yaakov Avinu, says of Yaakov, why is it, how uh, ironic it is that Yaakov Avinu, who is known for his chesed, who's known for his emes, titein emes Yaakov, has to obtain the brachas through a subterfuge. He has to trick his father, why should it have to be that way? And then he, uh, he has to live in the house of Lovan, who's constantly tricking him. I mean, he's living, uh, living together with, uh, with uh, constant lies. He's surrounded by lies. He has to lie to achieve the brachas, and then he has to live in the house of Lovan, where there's constant, uh, where there's constant lies as well. Why? So says Rabbi Yaakov again, it was to push Yaakov beyond that which he felt comfortable with, to expand his horizon to that which he thought of himself, and to bring out that which he had in potential, to bring it out, into a reality. That's why Rav Hutner writes in the Pachet Yitzchak to a letter to a Talmud who is struggling with certain Nisiyanis, he writes that uh, the Iker of an Nisiyan is not the end result that you achieve. It's the struggle that a person uh, goes through in the midst of that Nisiyan because the whole purpose is to bring out that which we have in potential to reality and it's not necessarily brought about by the end result. It's brought about through the struggle, through the process. That's where one grows. It's a similar comment from the Svasemes on the Pasuk at the end of Parshas Vayera, where the Pasuk tells us in the context of the Akedas Yitzchak, Kadesh told Avram Avinu, Kachno as Bincha, take your son, as Yichidcha, your only son, as Sherahavta, who you love, as Yitzchak. So we know we're familiar with this Rashi. Why doesn't he just skip to Yitzchak? Why all the, uh, the ambiguous descriptions? Bincha, your son, Yechidcha, your only son, Ahavta, is Yitzchak, says Rashi, Litenlo schar kodibor to give him schar for each one of these uh, descriptions. So Sfasemes says, why would Avram Avinu got more schar? He said, if Avram Avinu would have listened to Rebani Shalalim immediately, if he told him to sacrifice Yitzchak, he would have listened. What's the extra schar here? For his Bincha, as Yechidcha, as Ahavta, as Yitzchak, says Sfasemes, it wasn't for Avram Avinu. It was for future generations. Yes, Avram Avinu could rise to the highest uh, Nisayon right away. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu had told him sacrifice Yitzchak, Avram Avinu would not have had trouble with that. But many of us go through Nisayonists and we're not able to w- conquer it the first time. The footnote writes in English in the Pachet Yitzchak, you know, you lose the battle sometimes to win the war. So we, we, sometimes we're not able to uh, achieve full success right away. So do we get any reward for struggling in an Isayan if we're not absolutely successful? So it says this Fasemis, yes. Where is that reward found? In this Rashi. 
Because even if it's just bincha, we're all, that's all we're able to do. The first madrega, you still get reward. Or even if it's yechidcha, if all he would have gotten to was there, but not yitzchak, also reward. The Svasema says this Rashi is coming to teach us that the struggle itself um, is uh, significant when it comes to an isayan, because the purpose of an isayan is to view is uh, is an opportunity to grow for, to grow to bring out that which is in potential, uh, to bring it out into reality, and therefore for us as well. What we are, uh, can derive from this is for our own life is to view Nisyanis that we all go through on a personal level and beyond as opportunities for growth. Not as obstacles for growth. That's how we're meant to view it. And that's part of Esav's problem. Esav doesn't view his great Nisyanis, which Yitzchak saw great potential, all Esav sees is obstacles to growth, not an opportunity for growth. That's why Esav gives up Esav says, by Yomer Esav, he sells the Bechairah to Yaakov. Why does he sell the Bechairah to Yaakov? He says, He says, I'm going I'm to die anyway. What do I need this Bechairah for? What does he mean where he's going to die? May have asked him Shana. Well, everyone may have asked him Shana. What does it mean he's going to die? Says Rashi, he saw the Avaidah with all of the mitzvahs that it entailed and the punishments if you do it wrong. He said, there's no way I'm going to do it right. He says, look at me. I'm Isha Dei Atzai Ishta there's no way I could be Matzliach in this. So he gave up. And why did he give up? We understand why he gave up. It's not fair. It wasn't fair. Look, there are two kids are born. Says the Maral, they are different Tevas. Esav's Tevas to run to the base of Adazar. Yaakov's Tevas to run to the base of Adazar. Esav says, no. What do you want from me? What do you want from me? So he gave up. It's not fair. He had more in his Yainas, at least ostensibly, than Yaakov had. So he gave up and said, it's not fair. The deck is stacked against me. Many people feel like that oftentimes. It's not fair. Why does it have to be me? The truth of the matter is, though, there's a fascinating Be'er Yosef at the end of this week's parsha. and the truth of the matter is, everyone has Nisyanus. When Yaakov Avinu was running away from Esau to Choron to find the Shidduch in the house of Lavan, so the Pasuk takes a, a break in the middle of his running away. Parsha Ve'yetze continues with his... Uh, running away to Haran, and uh, a few psukim before the end of Parshas told us he's running away, but the Torah stops for a moment to describe Yishmael taking a wife. Yishmael gets married to Machlas, the daughter of Yishmael, but he then she became one of his Al-Nashav Lailisha, she became one of his wives. There's an interesting family tidbit that they're thrown in at the end of the parasha. But why did it interrupt the, uh, the discussion of Yaakov running away? Then it stops, by the way, Esav got married. Now let's continue on with the story. What's it doing there? It seems out of place. So the Be'er Yosef says that it comes to uh, inform Esav, I'm sorry, it comes uh, to inform us that even though it seemed like uh, Esav had all the Nisyanus, everything was stacked against him. And Yaakov had everything that was fine. Look at the disparity over here now. Esav gets married, chick-chock, no problem. Right? He got machlas, basmas, his woman coming, going married to many, many wives. No problem, no story involved. Yaakov Avinu, it's a drate with to getting married. He has the Rachel, and he's tricked in Leia, and 14 years, 21 years. So many years, so much for one little, you know, for, for just to find. He wants to marry Rachel, it takes so long, it's so hard. Esav has no, no troubles at all. So it says the very yes, if it comes to teach us that everybody has Nisyanus, sometimes we see our Nisyanus, Esav saw his Nisyanus, he says, not fair. So he gave up. So he says, Yaakov has no Nisyanus, but you see, later on, when it came to Shidduchim, so Esav had no Nisyanus, and Yaakov had his, uh, his Nisyanus. And so too, it's important to keep in mind in our lives, yeah, we have Nisyanus in this, other people have Nisyanus in other things, says the very yes, if everybody has their, their story. 
And Esav's problem was he didn't view his Nisyanis as, a, as an opportunity to grow, to bring out his potential, to achieve greater, uh, greater heights. He viewed it as an obstacle to growth, and therefore he gave up. We find a similar person, though, who's in a, a comparable situation to that of Esav, and that's Leah. Leah finds herself also in a similar situation, to no fault of her own. The says, Leah She was uh, kind of, you know, the uh, spiritual partner, if you want, a certain uh, certain way to Esav. Originally, that was the shidduch that was supposed to have been, but she cries, and her uh, her her lot is changed, and she ends up marrying Yaakov. But she's also dealt a very uh, difficult hand. She gets married. The pasuk says that Yaakov hated her. The pasuk says. <coughs> She saw Kaddish Baruch Hu sees that I'm hated. Yaakov uh, loved Rachel. He didn't like Pashup uh, Shad in the Pasuk. He hated Leah. And therefore Kaddish Baruch Hu uh, uh, allowed her to get pregnant and not Rachel. And then what happens after she gets pregnant? So the Nitziv says, if you read the Pesukim carefully, it sounds like every time she gets pregnant, Leah now thinks her situation is going to change. After Reuven is born, the Pasuk says she named him Reuven, Kira Hashem Esanyi, Va'ata Yavani Ishi. She says, now I gave birth to a son. Rachel has no sons. Now Yaakov's going to love me. She thought it was going to change. But nothing changed. Then again, she gets pregnant. She has a Shimon. The Pasuk says, Kishama Hashem, Hashem Kisnua Anoichi, that And he gave me this one too. So she said, I'm still hated. Maybe this will change it. And says in the tip, nothing changed. Then again, when Levi is born, the Prophet says, Now he's going to have to accompany me. Now I'm one of the Imahos. He's stuck with me. He's going to have to love me now. And what happens? And again, nothing changes. And then finally, though, when she has her fourth son, says in the now she came to a realization. What happened now? She has a fourth son, Yehuda. She names him Yehuda Hapa Maidez Hashem. Now she has a Karsa Taif to a Kaddish Baruch. And the Gemara tells us, familiar Gemara, in Mesechta Zbrachus and Abzayin and Mebez, that Leah was the first person to express a Karsa Taif to a Kaddish Baruch. No one in the entire history of creation had expressed a Karsa Taif to Leah. What? No one had expressed a Karsa No one said thank you. There were such ingrates. No one said thank you. So it explains in the Sefer Tiv Gitin, which is a classical Sefer on Mesechta's Gitin. Ritzvi Hirsch Heller explains that no, what it means is Leah recognized now that all of her Nisyanis, all that she went through to get to this point, is what enabled her to achieve such greatness as uh, she would be the most prolific of all of the Himahos. Because of her Nisyanis, she used it as an opportunity to grow. Now she saw it all in greater perspective. Hapa, my Hashem. And now she gave her karsa to Kaddish Baruch Hu, not on uh, simply having the children, but on all of the challenges and Nisyanis that she went through. She recognized now what was the purpose of everything. That it was an opportunity for growth, an opportunity to achieve greatness, and not an obstacle to growth. And that's the difference between Esav and Leah. I believe that there's one final lesson we can learn from Yitzchak's treatment of Esav. Again, Yitzchak saw in Esav, he loved him because of his great potential, because perhaps Yitzchak thought that when one has adversity, he's presented with conflict, he can achieve more, and his his, uh, ceiling is higher. But I believe that we see from Yitzhak one final lesson, and that is, how does one treat a child who has Nisyanis? You know, it's easy for us to view our personal Nisyanis as opportunities to grow, but how do you handle a child who has Nisyanis? How do you handle a child who is uh, growing through these types, of, uh, these types of challenges? And I believe that Yitzhak gives us important advice in how he handles Esav. The Pasuk says, Vayehav Yitzhak as Esav, 
He loved Esav because of his challenges. Meaning, and he taught Esav to embrace the challenges. And he tried to teach him. He wasn't successful to view it as an opportunity to grow. To capitalize upon them. Not to uh, he didn't, uh, kick him out the house or anything like that. He tried. He loved him because of his nisyanis. He tried to channel those nisyanis for good. The similar psikta, uh, medrash, on the Pasuk and Parshas B'chukhaisai. The Pasuk tells us that at the time of Klaiser will properly keep the Torah and the mitzvahs. So one of the rewards we'll receive is V'hishbati Chayero Minahoretz. The Kaddish Baruch will obliterate, he'll remove all of the dangerous animals from the land. So it doesn't mean he'll remove them, says the Medrash. I would have said it means he'll remove them. What's so bad? I mean, with such animal rights, you know, we can't have one animal removed, the animal will be extinct, okay. But the Medrash says, no, it will be there, but it won't be mazik. What do you mean it'll be there, but it won't be mazik? So I believe the Medrash is teaching us, it's instructing us, that uh, how do you deal with a chayero? I hate that, you know, there's some mice, I hate it, but uh, I don't like the connotation of it. But we'll tell it anyway, but with that disclaimer. There's a person who was once coming to rent an uh, apartment in Borough Park. I was on the second floor. So the owner, the landlord, was on the first floor, told him, he said, you can rent the apartment, but no children. He says, why no children? He says, because him and his wife are older people. They can't handle the noise. That's it. They don't want tenants who have children. So he says, I have no children. It's not a problem. Fine. So it comes. They move in. First night, all of a sudden there's banging. It's like a circus going on upstairs. It's crazy. The noise is out of control. So the guy comes upstairs. The landlord knocks on the door, opens the door. Inside are 14 children. So he says to the guy, he says, why did you, why did you lie to me? He said, we're going to kick you out now. Anyway, why did you lie and say that you had no children? You have children. It's crazy over here. The noise is out of control. So he told him, those are not children. Those are chayas. He said, you said children. These are chayas, not children. Anyway, a person has a difficult child. No child is a chayas. But a person has a difficult child. What do you do? What do you do? The answer is, you try and take that and make it not that it should be mouse. You don't get rid of the child. You don't expel the child. You try and uh, channel that which he has, uh, those nisyonis, to help him see it as an opportunity for growth. It was a, uh, the Maitza, they say, over from the Balatanya. And once in the middle of davening the Ila on Yom Kippur, he disappeared. He escaped out of the base manush. And he didn't come back till after Yom Kippur. So they asked him afterwards, where were you, Rebbe? Where did you go? In the middle of the middle of Ne'ilah. That's it, he left. Had enough. So he asked him, where did you go? So he said, he went to daven by another minion. Another minion? Where, where did he go? He said, there's a, a minion of Ganovim. A Ganovish minion. So he went to Davim with the Ganovim. Why would you go Davim with the Ganovim? There's a chusma greater than ours. He says, it's the time of Ne'ilah, the doors are getting locked, and they know how to pick locks. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, everything that a person has can be channeled in the right direction. And that's what, uh, Esav, that's what uh, Yitzchak's treatment of Esav teaches us. Is that, Vayeh uh, of Yitzchak is Esav side with it. Because of that, to try and embrace it, to help the child uh, realize that he can achieve more because of it. There's a, f- a well-known story, of, uh, say, in, uh, in uh, motivational speeches, but it's a fantastic story about the COO of, of uh, Goldman Sachs, whose name is Gary Cohn. To document the story that he grew up, he's proud of it. He grew up in uh, Cleveland, and when he was a young man, a young boy, they discovered he was dyslexic. But he was never successful in school. He was bounced to four school. At the time he was in the sixth grade, he was in four different schools. Because dyslexia at that time, learning disabilities weren't uh, treated as, uh, as well as, uh, or as they should be now. 
So in those times, he just got bounced around. So uh, he was never successful. The teacher told his parents horrible things about what his ultimate prospects would be. Anyway, so he graduated uh, you know, high school. He ultimately uh, skipped his way through college. But he was working a blue-collar job for some aluminum factory or something and, uh, on Long Island somewhere. And then one day he asked the boss, he said, could he have a day off from work? He wanted to go see New York. He's from Cleveland. Never forgot everything wrong. He's from Cleveland also. So he said his first time in New York, he wanted to go see uh, Manhattan. So fine, the, word, the boss gave him a day off. He went to Manhattan and he sat by the Commodities Exchange in uh, the World Trade Center. So he's trying to you know, talk to people or whatever, and no one's giving him the time of day. But then he sees the market's about to close and everyone's packing out. So he sees uh, you know, this well-dressed man uh, talking to his secretary. He says, I have to go catch a plane at LaGuardia. So he's in the elevator going down. So this guy runs in, Gary Cohn runs into the elevator. And he says uh, to the guy, oh, can I share a cab with you to LaGuardia? I'm also going to LaGuardia. He wasn't going to LaGuardia. But he said to the guy, can I share a cab? So the guy said, sure, of course, share the cab. So they're talking in the, uh, in the, in the cab. He says, what do you do? He says, he's an he's a options trader. So he says to Gary, he says, you know what options are? Of course, you know, he had no idea what options were. But he said, of course, he knows what options are. He trades in that, he trades in this. And the uh, end of the story, the guy offered him a job on the spot. And then from that job to another job, to another job, now he's the COO of, uh, of Goldman Sachs. But he said, what gave him the ability to do that? He said his whole life he was faking through things. Because he was dyslexic. So every time he had to pretend that he knew what he was talking about when he had no idea what he was talking about. He never had any idea what he was talking about. But he managed to slide his way through. So because of that, he was in the car with this guy, the commodity chair. He had no idea what he was talking about. He was so good at... Uh, faking his way through it, that he was ultimately able you know, to get that first break, which gave him his job. But sometimes a person, and there's millions of stories like this, a person embraces Kitzayed B'fiv, that itself is what propelled him and what uh, you know, could have helped him achieve and realize his potential. But the most important aspect of what Yitzchak does for Esau is Vayehav, is he loves him no matter what. Keith side befib with all of his problems, even though he saw it as uh, Esav had the wrong perspective. He didn't see it as opportunities for growth. He saw it as an obstacle to growth. Nonetheless, Yitzchak loved him. Nonetheless, and that itself can be the greatest uh, aid to a child who's going through an Isyanus. The Mishnah tells us in Mesech the Sanhedrin, the last thing, that it been Sayo Umayra, we know the child from Parshas Kiseitse, who's on the wrong path in life, already so young. But he's already on the wrong path. Nidan al Shem Saifai is judged because of that ultimately which he'll do, not that which he's done. Let's kill him now uh, before he, uh, he, he does all that we envision for him. Uh, but maybe he'll do tshuva. Why do we kill him now? The answer must be because it's inevitable. The guy's a lost cause. You can give up now. There's no way he's going to turn his life around. However, the Gemara says in Mesech the Sanhedrin that if his parents forgive him, then uh, he gets a reprieve. We don't kill him. So he asks the Shemi Shmuel, he says, why don't we kill him? The problem with Ben Saramara is not because he offended his parents. The problem with Ben Saramara is because he's on the wrong path in life. He's going to do terrible Averis. So why did his parents play a role? If they're Michaelim, so they could save him, why did they save him? He didn't, it's not because he offended his parents. He explains the Shemi Shmuel. He's only a lost cause. He only, uh, you know, is inevitable. If he doesn't have the support of his parents. But if his parents support him, if his parents love him, so then no child is a lost cause. No child is, it, uh, is the outcome inevitable. If a person has the support of his parents, uh, then he can uh, turn everything around. 
And even though we might not now view it as an obstacle to growth, he might be able to view it as an opportunity to growth. The Sami Rebbe once said <coughs> that why is it that uh, we ended up uh, after the Second World War here in America, which they uh, called the Trey for Medina. So he said, why did we end up here after the war? So he says, because in this, uh, in this country we have the greatest, uh, the greatest Nisyanis of both worlds. We have the Nisayan of Aisher, whether the Tzadik ben Tzadik is greater, you know, or the Tzadik ben Rosh is greater Nisayanis. The Sami Rebbe said, we have both Nisayanis here. We have the Nisayan of Aisher, of physical wealth and abundance, but at the same time we live in a uh, society which is spiritually corrupt and spiritually uh, decrepit. So we have the Nisayan of Aini and the Nisayan of Aisher all wrapped up in one. We're surrounded by Nisayanis, said the Sami Rebbe, where we live. And the uh, Sami Rebbe said the reason why Kodesh Baruch Hu did this to us after the war was because he wants to hasten the Geula. So he uh, thrust upon us Nisayanis wherever we turn. We have Nisayanis, and if we're able to conquer those Nisayanis, we're able to view it as an opportunity to grow, then uh, we'll, we'll increase our potential, not on an individual level, but perhaps even on a communal level. And if we achieve our potential on a communal level, Mir Sashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu should hasten the Gula and bring the coming of the Shia Sikainu. Amen. Amen.